Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company for yet another week of walking side by side on the Camino de Santiago. Just before we begin this week, a very special thank you to my new Patreon sponsors, Dennis and Sue, John, Kerry and Marie-Therese. Thank you so much for your kindness. You can sponsor the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Tickets are selling fast for my concert in Canada. I'm doing a series of talks and shows late October, early November in and around Toronto and London and Ottawa. The big show is at the Grand Theatre in London on Thursday, the 27th of October. You can get tickets via grandtheatre.com. I'm also doing a show at The Pilot in Toronto on November the 3rd. That's the following Thursday. And that's not a ticketed event. It's more like one of my normal pub shows. And I'm doing talks at a couple of Canadian Company of Pilgrims chapters. So check with your local representatives. And by the end of this podcast, you'll understand exactly how I came to be doing a show at the Grand Theatre in London. So stay tuned. This is a podcast about pilgrimage. El Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage largely in Spain, but there are 80,000 kilometres of Camino trails across Europe. Pilgrims walk together and alone, and in many cases they form a group of friends to walk with, often called a Camino family. And they keep in touch with those friends on their return home. And there's a unique aspect to the Camino. It envelops you, it gathers you in and nurtures you. And you'll find yourself continuing to engage in the Camino community well after you finish. Indeed, it's often said your Camino begins when you arrive in Santiago de Compostela, the northwestern Spanish city where the remains of Christ's Apostle James are interred beneath the altar in the cathedral in the town square. Pilgrims arrive in Santiago and then check into their accommodation, and then more often than not, they return to the square later in the day to watch other pilgrims finish their Camino. They pause for photographs. They stare up at the facade of the cathedral, which has towered over pilgrims since 1211. Millions of pilgrims have walked the cobblestone path that leads you through the archway in the corner of Obradoro Square. You have arrived. Pilgrims walk to overcome obstacles, to find a new direction, to clear their minds, perhaps to overcome a relationship breakdown. It simply provides space and time to be. And it can also be an opportunity to heal. COVID was such a burden for us all. We could never have imagined the impact, not of the illness, but of the isolation. The impact of the severing of our cord of life. The interruption to our everyday joys, the things we love, the things we celebrate. And that isolation prevented us from being, well, us. All of a sudden we weren't who we were just weeks ago. It robbed us of our identity because for so many of us, our role, our enterprise is us. Well, for someone who considers themselves a creative soul, that loss can be simply devastating. The flame is extinguished, a darkness follows, and it will take a monumental journey to turn things around. Confucius said, he who conquers himself is the mightiest warrior. My guest this week is the Canadian pilgrim, Dennis Garnham. He's written a book, Toward Beauty, Reigniting a Creative Life on the Camino de Santiago. Dennis is on the line. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here with you. You're an artistic director of a theatre in London, Ontario. Tell us a little bit about your life in the arts. 
Sure. Well, it's only been a life in the arts for me. I'm 54 years old. And when I was that little kid in the basement, when I was 10, I was putting on puppet shows and I had the dream to be a theatre director. And that's all I've done for my entire life. And uh, currently, I'm so blessed and grateful that I'm the artistic director of the Grand Theatre, as you said, in London, Ontario. This is a 100-year-old theatre. It's a beautiful marvel. Uh, and we produce professional productions, um, full season of usually 10 to 14 productions. And I've been at this theatre for about um, six years. And before that, I was in Calgary, Alberta, at Theatre Calgary, when I had an incredible 11 years as artistic director. So all my bones know mm. is artistic direction for the last 17 years. So that's where I am right now. Do you act yourself? Oh, no, I'm terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Great question. I, uh, I gave that up decades ago I am a terrible actor which is why mm -hmm. I have such respect for actors and artists and designers because I know they do something I do not do so it's very easy to be in a room with them thinking as I'm directing them I'm giving you a direction that I couldn't do myself because you have a talent I don't have yeah. so I admire the artists yeah. enormously so take us right back to when COVID hit, morning of opening night. Oh gosh, I can't imagine what you were going through. The world suddenly shuts down around you. COVID-19 has arrived. The play, as you write in a note to me, is lost in limbo and the theatre's doors close indefinitely. Yeah, it's, it's kind of classic, right out of a movie. So there mm. we were. It was 8 a.m., the morning of opening night. So we had been working on this production, the North American premiere. Of, many people will know Room by Emma Donahue, the novel, which was made oh. into a film right. by Brie Larson. So And then turned into a stage play um, uh, by Emma. And so we had the incredible opportunity of doing, it's basically the second production, but the North American premiere. So we had... Cora Bissett from uh, from Scotland directing it. We had the UK producers. We had Emma Donahue. We had our Canadian cast. We had worked, you know, developed it for two years and we'd rehearse it for a month. We had some previews and it was got, going incredibly well. And then the morning of, uh, you know, we had a board meeting. My executive director, Deb Harvey, and myself, we had an impossible meeting to say there's this disease, this problem going around in the world. What should we do? And at eight in the morning, the board of directors said, this is a health problem. And we knew we had to stop. So that morning, I'll never forget it, March 13th, 2020, we always on opening night, we always invite our staff for a hot breakfast that we create together. And we celebrate that yet again, the show's going to open and yet again, we did it. So we had about 40 beautiful faces in our lounge. We were having a hot breakfast and we stood up and usually we say celebratory great things. And instead we had to say, we're shutting down immediately. Mm. We're all walking away. We're not opening tonight. Um, and we said, because it's what we knew at the time, we're going to be closed now for two months. We'll be gone, but don't worry. In two months from now, everything will come back. And the season we just announced a week ago, we just announced 14 productions for all of next year. It's all going to come back. Don't worry. Two months. We'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, the, the of course, breakfast went from celebration to silence, horror, tears, shock, uh, mine included. And we, we all did something we've never done before was we had to go through the building and we had to cancel, cancel, cancel um, our plans. Little did we know, thank goodness, that two months would turn into 17 months. Yeah, that's right. That chapter of the book is just so, so 
it's just so hard to read because these creative people, these people who really have given their lives to working in the process of entertaining people, of, of taking the audience on a journey of giving, of sure you all make money out of it, but it's a creative life that is, is a giving life in so many ways. And, and when you live it and breathe it and that's all you do, it becomes a part of you unlike many other roles, that creative persona, that creative life, that energy. So tell us about the emotional and, and impact and how your creativity was impacted then by COVID. And as you say, expecting to be two months turns out to be 17 months. Exactly. Well, you know, it really began that night. We couldn't even do one more performance. I remember like kind of asking, come on, can we just complete, at least get get opening? So they ever didn't even get that feeling of completion of one phase. So that hung in the balance forever. But what what became the experience here was we had to unhire people. So those 14 projects, you know, this we're talking over over 200 people had to be called and told that their project that they were going to invest in and come to my theater in my city and tell that, you know, give of themselves was now being canceled and that um, uh, none of the work would be had. So, you know, I learned later, of course, that actors and designers and directors, all of those people, stage managers, all went from, they might have had six shows lined up. They had a year lined up and then they would just get call after call after Mm. call. So, the, the the pressure of you know not wanting to even check your email because that's what actors would say is I didn't want to check my email because shows kept canceling kind of one week at a time. Um, at our theater, we had a full staff. They this is their full time employment, and we you know we said stay home the first week, stay home. We don't know what's happening, um, uh, and then we said you know we're gonna we have to pause and lay some people off, uh, deduct some salaries. Like we had a bit of everything. The government stepped in, they helped. So we, you know, we could keep people on payroll, but they couldn't come in. So the the, the feeling of um, isolation for all of us, the feeling of uh, uh, panic and concern and livelihood, uh, my overwhelming feeling at the beginning was my, the theater was going to be shut down. Because mm-hmm. in COVID, this world crisis, which takes precedence of course why would we ever how would we ever come out of this alive because we were losing hundreds of thousands of dollars instantly and so how would we ever survive this so i i i started i i fell into a really deep um depression pretty quick and i thought oh i'm going to be the artistic director who closed the grand theater 100 year institution and they'll say oh who was there when it got closed yeah oh him and so i felt this great um guilt and responsibility and you know my days went from being creative and hiring um artists and crafting shows to joining the executive director in emergency meetings and trying to solve you know, um, will the door stay open? How do we keep people paid? How do we talk to people? Is it safe? Et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's a whole, more than a year of that before, um, you know, I just kind of slunk more and further and further. And, you know, every time one promise of reopening would happen, we would, you know, <laughs> we would get shut down again. And so it, 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 it's just not what I've ever known my whole life. It's just not, you know, I'm not a manager. I'm a creative being. So I was not... Uh, asked to be creative um, or do anything creative for the entire... It's like, Dan, I'm sure it happened to you, it's like taking your guitar away yeah. and taking your voice away and saying, so just no, like, stop, you can't. Even yeah. if sorry, you want to, nobody will listen and you're not even allowed to touch the guitar. So, you know, my instruments, my people that I work, I'm, I couldn't 
see them. I couldn't talk to them. Yeah. I just got a lump in my throat when you said that. I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine that. Right. You said yeah. you say in the book that you dreamed of returning to a creative life post-COVID. And you probably deep in your heart knew it was a long way away, but it was there. So what was it like to know that life was somewhere in your future yet so far away? Uh, it was like holding on to, a, you know, a string that was falling quickly. Like oh it was, you know, I had to convince myself um, daily. I mean, what happened to me um, was I discovered that um, creativity is, you know, part of my experience was that uh, my creativity is more than being in a room rehearsing a play, which I wasn't able to do. I could be creative. I could imagine a Camino. I could imagine uh, writing. I could imagine other things. So that's really the positive part is that I found my way because of this. So how did the Camino come into your life? How did you discover it? Ah, <laughs> great question. It came not as um, I expected. It came as a hike. So Bruce, my husband, and I, we, we, he, he um, beautifully, magically taught me the power of hiking about 10 years ago. And over time, I went from being incredibly reluctant to being incredibly uh, empowered and resourceful from, you know, I couldn't walk down the street for an hour without um, hating it to, um, you know, I was hiking the um, Tour Mont Blanc in um, France and in Spain and um, Italy. And, and so I'd had all this experience. So as we were starting to learn more about these things, I discovered the Camino and, and I saw I first saw it as a hiking experience because I thought this looks like a good challenge and this would be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it was always in that realm. I thought, I understand there's a pilgrimage, a spiritual. I'm not sure that that's going to be my thing, but I think the fact that there's an established um, hike in Italy, kind of like I would cheat a little. I'll just go for the hike of it and that'd be fun. That's what I thought would happen until kind of a, a, a memorable Sunday morning when I realized I really should go on the Camino and I really should do it um, for personal, spiritual, powerful reasons. It wasn't going to be a hike. It was going to be a, a journey. And so you decide, I'm going to go on this journey of discovery. And you wrote to tell me that you were a little unsure, but it it gave you back a sense of that creative identity, didn't it? It delivered what you expected it to. Yes. I mean, first when I, it, Bruce, Bruce Mesner proposed it because I was, you know, in the depths and I needed a break and I, I, I realized a sabbatical would be perfect, but I have a full-time job. I've been running, I've been a full-time job for 17 years. I can't just walk away in a crisis for five weeks. And then Bruce said, but if you don't, what's going to happen to you? And then and basically said, well, why don't you go on the Camino? And I was like, well, we have a kid. How do you do that with a kid for five weeks? And he said, I'll take care. I'm good. We're good. You go. And my board of directors said, please, you go. Stop right now, basically, and go. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I remember the moment when Bruce said that. I remember, like, did he just give me, like, get out of jail card? <laughs> was I just given the chance right in this moment that I never saw coming? And about a second later, I thought, I'm taking it. 
bye, I'm gone, I'm gone. You know, I was a little nervous. I had hiked only with Bruce, and I'd, only, I'd never hiked more than seven days on a big hike. And so here I was looking at 32 days, and I was going to go by myself in a, in a Spanish-speaking country. And it terrified me. But it also, I realized in hindsight, it became, became the creative energy and force and notion that I really needed. It was it was way more creative of an act than I knew when I started off. I knew I had to go, but I didn't know it was because of a creative impulse. Why did you choose the Camino del Norte? Great question. So I, you know, of course I studied them all and I factored them all and I looked at them partially because I was going to um, travel or hike in August. Uh, I knew I was thought about but the heat. Uh, I have a huge um, passion for water. So the, the choice started out of that. It started out of this uh, notion that uh, I know it's one of the, considered one of the hardest ones. Um, I, I, it's going to be on the water. As, um, and I, I thought this is kind of perfect for me because I liked that it's not the main one. There was something attractive about going off course. I was also very COVID conscious. So because I knew there would be less people, even more or less people on the Norte, um, I thought all of this would be in, in the right direction. But really what attracted to me was the challenge, the hiking challenge as a start, um, and the fact that it was less traveled. Yeah, yeah. But you, your love of the sea and water, what's it like to walk a pilgrimage? And it is a pilgrimage and it emerged on you or in you fairly quickly on your Camino that you were on a pilgrimage. What's it like to see air rushing in and out of you? It is, oh gosh, that's beautiful. You're you're just throwing images at me as you ask that question. It's beautiful. You know, it's, 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 it's the, it's the boy wonder, boy-like wonder of being given a gift. So you, you know, you, you, every day on a Camino, on any hike, you're, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you're turning. So I'd be sometimes in a farmer's field and I'd say hi to the cows and I'll be lovely. And then you turn a corner and then all of a sudden, oh, I didn't know I'm on a cliff overlooking the, you know, the ocean. And that mm. feeling of the ocean air and the freedom it gives you um, mm. to... Uh, keep just play like you're playing in the ocean um it, it it just opened up my definitely opened up my heart i mean there was a there was a day that felt so um surprising and grateful where i was hiking in the morning one morning and i i was 10 in the morning and i came upon this and i was literally walking across the beach because that's where the the path <laughs> the camino would take me and i and i noticed that people weren't wearing clothes and I kept walking, and I noticed more people weren't wearing some clothes. And I thought, oh, okay. And, you know, Canada, we don't really do that. But, you know, I think this is a good idea. And I kind of hummed and hawed, and I, I looked left, and I looked right. I thought, you know, I'm on a Camino on the ocean. I'm getting in. Uh, and so I started to take off my clothes. I was all fine and dandy. And then I was just about to take off my underwear. And I turn, and I see a, a husband and wife and two kids coming over the, the banks. And I'm like, okay, this is not appropriate. This is not appropriate. So I stood there in my underwear. I gave this, like, I acted very cool. You know, I always do this. As I stand in my underwear by the ocean, trying to not look stupid. And then I turn back, and the boys are taking off their clothes. And then the mom and the dad take off their clothes. And it's the most beautiful, awesome, cool thing because they give me permission. So, of course, I just take off my clothes. I walk very slowly into the ocean. And I swim, and I'm just feeling blessed and touched by this water. 
I'm laughing out loud because I don't care now. They're noticing me. They're laughing. We're all having a lovely time. And, you know, this day went on like that. I went for a walk. Later that day, I kept walking another ocean. I had lunch and another ocean. I thought, this is pretty incredible. And then I, I decided to finish that day sitting on the ocean watching the sunset. And, of course, everybody knows about the sun, so I wasn't sitting alone. I was sitting with 50 other people. And, of course, as the sun set, people started to applaud and I hadn't heard applause for two years, Dan. And we were doing something together. So that's, when I think of the ocean, that's the, the day that comes to mind. Mm. You, do you call it skinny dipping in Canada? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you do? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Because my question is, <laughs> my, my question said, and you ended up skinny dipping, which I thought was a really funny question. I've never asked anybody that on this podcast. <laughs> But you say in that moment in the book, and it's really beautifully written, it was an entirely different process for you. You were living and breathing in the moment. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, everything was starting to change for you. You walked during COVID when Spain was at red level um, for warnings and very few people out there on the trails. So what was it like? It, I, I, we understand as, as sort of news filtered out from Spain that a lot of it was shut down. Was it easy to find somewhere to stay? Yeah, yeah, it was very quiet. Um, and it was, I had done, um, I am a pre-planner, Dan. You right. know what that's like. Yeah, so yeah. I knew that I had to figure it out because of the situation. So I had, uh, you know, a plan A accommodation sorted out for most. Um, you know, the, the municipal um Obergues were closed, and that was very sad to see. We walked by a whole lot of, you know, dusted over. This would be two summers by this point. Um, uh, places that you'd walk by them with, you know, the, the chair stacked, and you literally could see the dust on it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't impossible to find stuff because what's unique about the Camina uh, del Norte I've only done in terms of Spain. This is the only one I've done, so it's a little different because you get. You, you end up walking to some very big oceanside cities. So that's very alarming because um, it's full tourism, right? So you're, you're in your sweaty backpack and all that. And once you get into the town, people don't really, can't really tell that there's a Camino on process and you really have to find your way through town. Um, but that was, that was, for me, part of the <laughs> incredible surprise of the walk. Yeah. Um, but, but it was... Um, uh, I did spend many, many, many hours with seeing no one, wow. but I wasn't like you know. I did find my Camino family and my Camino friends, and and you know, I I, I still had that full experience. Just before we get to the book, when I first opened it, I was struck by the sketches. Aha! So, how much of this the, the sketching? was part of your Camino? Did you, did you draw all the time? Did you, was it something you did in the evening? Take, take us through that aspect of the chronicling of your, of your Camino. Well, one of the, one of the notions of the book is that um, it's called Toward Beauty. And then the notion that I had as I was walking and as I was placing my thoughts, I was thinking a lot 
about um, beauty and I started to realize pretty quickly the absence of it. I had two years of no beauty in my life. And that was, and how I define beauty is the way I've made sense of it, because I've always been a beauty seeker. My whole, I surround myself on a daily basis, I hope to, with beauty. And I realized that when art is produced, beauty is created. So it's either I go to the Guggenheim in Bilbao and I see someone else's art and it gives me the experience of beauty. I'm um, experiencing beauty because someone did that for me. Or I direct a play or pick plays for my theater and that's my um, um, effort of creating art and that's where beauty comes from. So when it turned into this idea that there was a book in me, um, I was very conscious that I wanted to make sure the book was beautiful, that it had, you know, um, the attention to detail of how the words sat on a page and how the chapters flowed and, you know, how we describe things was very important to me. So I've also, for the last eight, uh, eight, 17 years, I've worked with an illustrator named Scott McCowan. Scott is a internationally renowned um, artist. And so I asked him, would he um, create some of these sketches for me? Mm. And and so it was really beautiful because for eight, 17 years, I've worked with Scott on show posters and um, all kinds of, he's again, incredible, incredible designer. And so I, you know, he said yes pretty quickly. And so here I am describing, sending him photographs, telling him, you know, what I think the illustration needs to convey. And so we have seven original drawings by him, um, but they're my, they're my view. Yeah. So, you know, before we've always created other shows but now it was very moving you can imagine the first time the draft sketches came in and they were scott's version of my camino yeah and there's a map in there it's a beautiful hand sketch map in yeah there. and it's hysterical because it's not like it says camino del norte it's not the camino it's dennis garnham's camino del norte because i picked different cities to stop based on research and such um it's it's highly you know i highly recommend it but um it's very personal so I wanted to make sure that um, um, the reader had a visual experience of what I was seeing. I also consciously thought a lot about this, and I'm sure you've had this experience. In the book, it's shaped, there's before, and then there's week one, two, three, four, and five when I walked, and then there's after. Yeah. And I thought a lot about the shaping of it. I didn't want to do every day. It's not actually every day because um, there's some rest and all this kind of stuff. But I wanted to give, to me, the heart of the book is about the Camino and those five weeks. And I wanted to really state how I was before. But I, as you know, how you are after, the Camino doesn't end in front of the cathedral in Santiago. No, for some people, right. probably yeah. does. But for for me and my story, I wanted to make sure it carried on after. So that that f fed the illustrations because originally when I conceived the book, I thought, oh no, the illustrations are only on the Camino because that's what we're here for. And then I was like, no, this is my Camino began the moment I started to walk it. So there is an early sketch, which is quite beautiful and shocking, I think. In, in, not shocking because it's the Madrid airport, one of the most gorgeous airports in the world, but it's empty. Yeah. And that sketch is exactly what it looked like to me. And at the end, you know, I'm a theater, t theater storyteller. And it's, you know, of course, we want to, spoiler alert, there's a happy ending to the book. <laughs> and there, there is an opening night because Room did open two years later. 
two whole years later, we finally opened it up, uh, opened it up. So there's a really beautiful abstract sketch of the Grand Theatre. And so I wanted to make that kind of message that it's the journey is all of it. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. But you write in the book that you never ask for directions when you're lost. And I found you, <laughs> I, I found your reason for not doing so fascinating. It's not about being too proud. Why don't you like asking for directions? Oh, um, because I'm a director. I should know the direction. I should know how these things go. I should know how Camino is sorted out, right? A director does not ask directions. <laughs> <laughs> And that became, of course, right? That became, you know, very quickly on my Camino. um, And one of the themes and one of the, you know, it's time for the director to just let go, listen to others and just go, you know, go the way you want to go. I planned out those first few days to go exactly as they planned. And they did not go as planned. You know, day one from Irun to San Sebastian, I did my math. I did my pre-walking. It was going to be an easy five hours. Yeah, yeah. It was a grueling 11 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a couple of questions time, actually. But there is a fascinating little part of the book where you talk about what you call your life's contradictions, your identity as a public figure and independent artist, and your simultaneous need for conversation and solitude. So... Tell us about that, that contradiction. How does that manifest itself in in some respects in your day-to-day life? Well, it's it's it goes back to my introverted nature. So I I am a really quiet, shy guy who would be, you know, takes his energy from himself. You know, the definition of extrovert in some definitions is they get energy from other people i get it from myself so a lot of the camino was just really being by myself and happily um just fueling myself on the walk the other but the contradiction is that i found on the camino on the pilgrimage times when i needed people I needed, I felt, you know, I would literally seek them out like, today is a people day. I need to, I'm going to try hard to talk to people. And that surprised me. That very much surprised me, that balance, you know. The other thing that's always tricky is I'm a, a, as a, as an artistic leader, I'm a public figure. And so sometimes just being able to be just the artist, because as an artistic director, my job at the theatre is to pick all the plays with our team and to hire all the peop- uh, artists with our team um, and be the face of the you know the stories that we are going to tell. But then there's also a part where some I will direct one or two of the shows. So when I go from being the person co-managing the company to being the person the creator is um, in acting a play. It is completely different. It is completely different, um, and so I, I, I have I've missed that that part, that creative part of me that can be that because that part of me is much sillier and, and uh, risk riskier and not willing, you know, willing to play in a rehearsal hall and just um, see what happens and have a lot of fun. And, and every now and then, you know, what happens, Dan, I'm sitting there and I'm rehearsing, I'm laughing, we're having a lot of fun and about 30 people in the room and we're working on this piece. And then it, this, the worst thing that can happen is I think, okay, um, on this show, this is probably about $1,000 an hour day, so I better talk faster. So whenever that little munchkin pops into my head, I have to tell him to go away and just get back to trying to create. Mm. Wow. 
Wow, it's fascinating. So you say in the book, as you walk each step on the Camino, you begin to realize the way forward is to trust in the power of the ancient path. Tell us about that realization emerging on your Camino. I think it's 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 a great thought question. I think it's that funny moment where you 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 sign up for something, think I really want this life change. But then you show up, and you think, I don't really want this life change. You know, what have I signed up? For? Like, I know it's this, you know, pilgrimage. So I'd have moments on the pilgrimage where I really could feel it. I remember this one morning, I was just I was just walking down this path. And I thought about, and I saw these houses, and I thought about all the people who lived there, and how they had committed to supporting the people on the path, and how they uh, would, you know, yell out, call it one Camino, or, you know, make sure there was produce available, whatever that was. And I thought about all the people who had walked before me and how I was walking this today. And then, mm. you know, tomorrow someone would be walking it. You know, it's not unlike the the um, the power of working in a theater. So I've been at this theater for six years. Um, and I know it's been 100 years. I know that I'm just a guest. I'm here for this time and I will move through it and the next person will do better than me and the person after them will do better than them. So I think when we remember that we are pilgrims, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, it changes how we walk the path, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? We're not walking, we're not, you know, I, I, the gratitude I felt, especially on a COVID year, this is so, you know, it was so hard on, I just felt that people um, calling out one Camino were saying it and it was, it had a double meaning. I felt very powerful, like have a wonderful, good trip, good walk. But it also, there was a inherent thank you for coming from Canada and going for a walk. It felt this grat and I had it back. Thank you for keeping this open enough that I could walk it. Mm. So you feel, you certainly feel the path. You certainly feel the path. You're out walking there, um, it's very quiet, and it starts to emerge to you that you you finding joy in the solitude. Yes, exactly. There was a, you know, I finally understood meditation, Dan. I tried, and I, you know, tried to go quiet for three minutes, and after a minute and a half, I'm thinking about something I shouldn't think, yeah, and then yeah. I, you know, all that, yeah. and I, I, always understood meditation but until the camino you know there was a really there was a, a day where i was walking after many weeks and i and i realized my brain had gone places my thoughts had lifted and my questions were and all this stuff and i oh, i think this is what meditation really is when mm. you when you let go and let free um, and so there was a day when um you know i i was just I was just floating for the whole day. And I realized by the end of the day, and I kind of chose it at the very end, I realized like by dinner that I hadn't spoken out loud. And so when I got to a bar, I pointed, you know, at a cerveza and a tortilla and um, off I like no, no speaking. And I realized I'd, I had probably for the first time in decades, not spoken for an entire day. And that silence is um, powerful. That silence I discovered uh, is is terif terrifyingly informative because in the silence you hear things about yourself that you may not want to hear. <laughs> right? And that learning from yourself, the greatest teacher. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's the idea of, you know, a, a solo Camino. You have, <laughs> you have no one to listen to, no one to fight with, no one to be wrong with, no one to be right with, but yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you had a lot of talking to yourself because you were also inspired to write the book to tell your story of walking a Catholic pilgrimage as a gay man who left the church 25 years ago. Take us through that journey, because I'm sure that occupied a lot of your thoughts. Yeah, it was um, it was a surprising um, uh, opportunity. Let's call it that. When I decided I was going to go, um, uh, I knew I was going to be a Catholic pilgrimage, and I grew up uh, in a Catholic family. I went to a Catholic elementary school, a Catholic high school, um, and then when I was in my well, when and I came out as a gay man uh, to my family at 24. That was a process unto itself. Um, and then at 30, I had uh, someone in my life. Uh, I, like a, it was a teacher, one of my favorite teachers of my life. His wife sent me a letter when when she heard, because I had mentioned that I had a boyfriend. So she sent me a letter, and it was a six-page letter, handwritten, of course, suggesting that... Um, I was going to hell unless I changed my ways. It was very well written, very articulate, um, and all the hardship and shame and pain that I had had in my life to get to 30 and accepting myself really was thrown up into the air. And that's the moment I decided that I was going to call myself a former Catholic, and I wouldn't even try to go into the church because... Even though I struggled with it, I was been told it, you know, I from my conscious last decade of twenties to thirties, I knew the church's stance, but I um, at this point walked away. So, and then that all fell apart. I never talked to the teacher's wife, and ultimately the teacher ever again. So, it's one thing to walk on the Camino if you don't have a connection like that, a Catholic connection. I think it's a lot. I wouldn't say easier, but it's just not complicated. But I couldn't go and not see and feel when I walked into those churches or walked on the path or thought about why this existed. So I knew I had to confront it. It was something I had to do or could be part of my Camino. If I'd gone somewhere else, this would not have come up. So what I did was I took that letter and my response that I kept. I had photocopied <laughs> the guy 25 years ago. I photocopied my response to her, and I'd never looked at it for 25 years. And I decided that I would reopen it on the Camino somewhere, and maybe it would help me understand uh, my religion a little bit better. So I did, um, and it took me a few weeks to have the guts to open it, and I opened it up in a church. I read her, read her letter, and much to my surprise, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Wow. I felt great pity for her, and I felt proud of myself that I had seen my way through. When I read my letter, I didn't remember what I wrote to her. You know, and basically in my letter I said to her, um, I, will for I will accept your forgiveness when we meet in heaven. And I said to her, um, please pray for better understanding in the world. This is 25 years ago. We need a world where people are more understanding of each other. A lot has happened in 25 years. And, uh, you know, I, I feel I'm, uh, I'm married to a man and we have a child and I have had a, 
incredible life. And thanks to the Camino, um, a week later when I was in a monastery one night, I, 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 I found great peace with the church and was reunited with the power of faith, the power of faith with my mother, who always, always believed in the Catholic Church and always, always believed in me. And much to my surprise, I, I, I have kept the letter. I didn't rip it up. I will keep it for good. And now when people ask, I'll say, I grew up Catholic because I had a great life in the Catholic Church and I had a great life growing up. Very, very happy. It's part of me, not something that I need to deny or apologize for. So, so I hoped <laughs> that something would happen with me and the Camino uh, in, in, in regards to the church. And I'm really glad I didn't pretend. It would have been not me, first of all, but to walk the Camino as a former Catholic and look the other way would have been such a wasted opportunity. So I seized it. That's absolutely outstanding. Wow. Wow. Yeah, the book delves into all of that and it's so beautifully written. You write about what you call the unique camaraderie you found among fellow pilgrims from around the world. Yet you've just finished telling us about this very internal journey and prior to that about solidarity and and solitude. So tell us about meeting other pilgrims from around the world and how they helped you return and to beauty and a life of creativity. I did not go on the Camino to make friends. I did not go on the Camino to chat. I did not go on the Camino uh, to have these stories. And guess what? I made friends from around the world. The, the, the funniest one for me was day one, I was sick of talking to people. I was going to walk by myself and I would not, I would, you know, push every pilgrim off the mountain if I could. Yeah. I would not speak to anyone. Two hours into it, this woman uh, and I bounced into each other and, you know, we both were a little lost and I thought, oh, I'm going to, talk to you and move on um and uh this british woman very charming very fun and then you know of course we talked a little and oh no we're dating this is happening i I really don't want this to happen she's very nice i like her a lot you know and of course we spent the entire day together and her name is joy Like, how do you make that up? You know, her name is Joy. And so we saw each other a few times, uh, literally, you know, as you know, a week later, out of the blue, there she was, right? Um, I got a great kick out of, um, I think a couple weeks in, I was walking and I saw these two young hip kids. um, And it turns out they're from Paris, the name Marie and Nikos. And I thought, oh, I'm just, you know, they're going to throw... They're going to walk past me very quickly, and very quickly they want to talk with me. Um, and long story short, we spent three whole days with them. We all fell madly in love with each other. A lot of laughter, a lot of sharing, a lot of swimming together. You know, and the last moments tonight, to uh, the, the third night we were together, they had to go off. They were camping illegally, which is kind of wild, and they were very adventurous along the ocean, and they had to go off to their their made-up campsite for the and they were going back to Paris and uh, we were standing there with tears in our eyes. I thought, okay, I wait a minute. I just met you three days ago, four days ago. Uh, I'm madly in love with both of you. You're so inspiring, and we didn't talk about theater once. 
We talked about our lives. We talked about fun. We talked silly things. Yeah. And it was just joy. But, you know, the whole bunch of, I have a whole bunch of uh, other friends that I made, including these three Spaniards that became such a really um, a gift, uh, Marina, Elena, and Jose. And they were a gift because I got to see the Camino through a Spaniard's eye. And their pride and their joy and their um, humility, you know, because I, I, of course, I was asking lots of questions. And, you know, they talked about how this is an important part of the Spanish culture and, and uh, how much this is part of growing up there. So we would have that joyful time. So every, you know, every person, different experience, but every person, a lot of fun. I think the one who really surprised me is this young guy named Paulo from the Czech Republic, and um, he told the stories of how he uh, works in ambulance services as a nurse and how he's really questioning his work because COVID uh, was very hard dealing with all these people who were stressed out by it and also watching people die, and he's only 25 years old, and, you know, he caught COVID. This was in the early days. So getting to see it firsthand by, you know, frontline worker from the Czech Republic and feeling totally connected as a Canadian, understanding the greater world. So so even in a shutdown time where we didn't see a lot of people, I met some, made some incredible friends. Yeah, and it wasn't easy either because you say in the book there was a night there where you, part of you wanted to speak up and ask everyone what their story was, but it's not your place and not your show. But it took didn't take, <laughs> didn't take long for you to relax, and, and that became part of your journey as well. Tell us about Welcome, Move Forward, Push. Yeah, so there I was, it, uh, and near the end of the first week, and I had, I had, you know, had a good time. I had conquered a lot of things. I felt like I could do this. It all made sense. And then there was a day when I was hiking, and I got lost. I got distracted and I thought, oh, that arrow looks is yellow red sign now. Oh, well, that's close enough. And I kept walking and I thought, oh, this hike is getting harder and harder. Oh, well, it's kind of, this doesn't feel very Camino-y. It's because I'd walked myself up a mountain on the wrong path. <laughs> so once I realized that I was in a panic because I had lost a bunch of hours and I had to figure my way out. And then I did and I got, I got in, um, I got to Romero and I, it was fine after a um, pretty terrifying day. So the next day I was walking along and I, I woke up and that's when you said like, I, this is not my show. And I looked around at all these people who were all sleeping in bunk beds with me and nobody was talking because we all had our masks on. It was all very, very lonely. And I felt like a, a bit of a failure. Well, a lot of a failure. So as I was walking, I didn't have the strength to go and get a coffee. And I ended up in this little village. Um, and I, it was all shut down, uh, and it was very depressing for me. And so I walked over to this monastery, and I saw this gigantic, imposing church, beautiful, beautiful. And there was a door, and the door was I couldn't figure out how to open it. I was staring at it, thinking, I think this is a door. I can't tell. And then printed out, um, like from a computer, what in nine languages was the phrase, "Welcome, move forward, push." And I looked at it and I was like, that is so strange. Welcome, okay. Move forward. I moved forward, put my hand on this big slab of wood, and I pushed it, thinking I might break the building or something. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I pushed the door, and it glided open, and I could see this beautiful empty church. I walked in, um, and I sat down, and I burst into tears. 
because I thought, welcome, move forward, push. I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can do that. You're telling me, Camino, to do that? I don't know. Um, and in that moment, um, I... And it was also, you know, all the stress of leaving Canada, coming there, and could I manage this? Was I good enough? It all came to a big, horrible head, and that was me sobbing. So um, I sat there in tears, and then that was all, went on for like 10, 15 minutes. And then a man from the office walked in, and he said, you needed your credentials stamped. And it, it just threw me, like, he's coming to me to make sure I keep going on my journey. And I said, yes. And so I, he, you know, usually... You know, you're you're finding the person with the, that perfect little stamp, so you can stamp your credentials and keep moving. But this man came to me, and I had to walk with him, and it, and it kind of felt like um, a sign, a bit, a little bit of a sign. So I thought, okay. And then as I I got the stamp, and then I turned back to the church. I'm now outside, and I look back, and there's four people standing um, at that door, and I recognize them from the hostel, from the albergue where I was last night, and. Um, I see them looking terrified. So I actually, I don't, it's very, very not me. I just in a full voice said, welcome, move forward, push. And they looked at me like, okay. And then the woman took her right hand and she put her hand on the door and she pushed it. Like again, she had the same reaction as me and they all dropped their shoulders, turned to me and said, thank you. And uh, <laughs> so I then... I was, you know, two hours earlier in my tears, I was going to, I was, I was flying home. I was done. I thought I was a big failure. I was done. And then an hour after um, that door, I met that door, I was uh, walking through a field and I, I came into this town and there's this uh, orchard full of figs and this um, older woman was there and she stopped me and I thought, oh, okay, just go with it, go with it. And, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish and she wanted me to take some pears right off the tree for my journey, which I thought was hysterical. I started laughing. She started laughing. I started stealing, pear taking pears. You know, one point I couldn't, I was being very silly and I was you know, I was, I pointed up to the tree where I couldn't, I couldn't reach the pears. I gave her that look like, I, oh, I wish I could have those pears. And so she, but she walked over this older elderly woman and she took my, my walking pole and she took it out of my hand and then smacked the pears and they fell to the ground. And we laughed and we laughed. It was so joyful. And my day that day unfolded like that. So I, I, you know, I kept, I walked to, I, I went walking down the road and I found another person from where I'd slept the night before and they walked with me for a bit. And later I was, you know, explaining to this lost group of people where the river stream was and a little boy said, thank you, in a perfect little Spanish accent. And all of a sudden I'd been brought back on the Camino. And, you know, it, part of it was I did say a little prayer to my mother my mother died eight years ago and I, she's Catholic and she would have been so proud that I was on this path and I but I had to ask her in that church please help me please help me get through this because I'm not doing very well so you know at the end of that day I learned really what it means when you say the Camino provides but I also think my mother helped a little bit yeah yeah tell us about Gregory <laughs> Gregory I travel <laughs> 830 kilometers with a person guy named Gregory. He was great. He held all my stuff. He um, <laughs> was always on my back. He was always, uh, you know, silent. He was my backpack. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> the, yeah, so I, he brand his brand was Gregory, and so I decided when upon arriving I should name him because we're going to be solo. There's nothing more um, uh, beautiful and terrifying than having your whole life on your back. So you know, I f- would feel that like everything, my whole existence was what's in Gregory, right? And it's me and him on the path, and you know, I didn't talk to him. Don't worry, I didn't. <laughs> have long conversations, except in the morning when I was packing him. I did find the more I walked, the lighter he got. And I didn't really take stuff out. I found that astonishing. Like I, I found the also, um, I was very fortunate, but the more I walked, the stronger my legs got, the stronger my feet got, the stronger, you know, by the end, it was only stronger. Yeah. And you fell in love with Sebastian. <laughs> All these guys, what is that about? <laughs> uh, S- Sebastian, yeah, he's he's a yeah, he was my first crush, and um, so uh, the, you know, the first day of the hike on the Norte is Irun to San Sebastian, and it's considered one of the great hikes because the views spectacular, all that. Mine wasn't as great because it was cloudy, but I met joy. I experienced joy. But then I landed and I had a day off because of all the COVID crazy. I had a day off after the first day of hiking because my plane trips were all changed. It's not something I'm proud of, but I was like, okay, I'm going to take a day off. So San Sebastian, I had never been in um, in northern Spain. And this is, I, I did fall in, I, I wrote a chapter in my book uh, <laughs> about being love-struck for San Sebastian because I've never, I really, I want to live there. It's like this beautiful cosmopolitan oceanside, uh, you know, the women dress spectacularly, wearing incredible colors. And this one woman had this incredible shade of green and I hate, hate green and I'm thinking you are the most beautiful 70 year old woman this is fantastic yeah, you know yeah. um, and it's not pretentious and it's not I, I found it very accessible a lot of joy in that in that um, seaside town and it was a real surprise I think one of the things I would say about the, the Norte is it re, you know again having not experienced the other ones but the, the diversity of experience is so extreme um, uh, I loved it because I you know I, I do love big cities bigger cities especially when they're on the ocean and then it would be countered with you know walking on farms no view of the water like just classic Camino I think but um, uh, yeah I I, uh, I um, in the book, one the, I, <laughs> my last thank you is to Sebastian for our meeting up because he really fueled me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's a moment in the book where you're having dinner and you start to reflect on COVID and your role at the theatre and you write, forgiveness enters my heart, forgiving for myself just a little tonight. I just need to relight my pilot light. So how is that flame burning now? Dennis, <laughs> um, strong and bright, mm. um, and um, yeah, you know, it, it was my friend Geese said that to me before I left that my pilot light was out, which was the fuel of creativity, being around artists, doing art, all of that, um, and the fact that I'm now um, uh, the, the Camino reignited it, um, and the fact that I'm now um, moving forward, it's this has like been over. Ten months, well, yeah, it's about twelve months. Where it was about twelve months ago, ten, eleven months ago, I came back, and so I'm feeling stronger, clearer, um, and more, um, more determined in my 
um, commitment to creativity. I do, and I do think very strongly that it's the power of the Camino and the time it takes post Camino or took me, I can only speak for myself to find that. So it's like week by week, the strength and the, the joy that keeps coming, um, keeps coming, keeps coming. People notice this in me. I think that's the, I'm, I'm always thrilled when someone says you're, different Dennis you're calmer you're happier you're uh, more centered you're you, you seem free and honestly um, writing the book had a lot to do with it just being able to you know kind of journal it out um, and figure it out strangely very strangely um, I read wrote the first draft of the book on the Camino um, and because I had all that time alone I could start to you know I could actually really um, 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 put the thoughts together. And it was only when I went through the many drafts to complete, to really isolate what I was really thinking. Um, it's been a great gift for me to understand um, myself and, you know, to share this beautiful journey. Well, congratulations on the book, Dennis. It's a triumph, a journey of spirit and heart. And in many respects, you've had to be very brave and courageous. It's a very honest book. And I think in that honesty, you've found that little light has now burned much, much brighter. Thank you for taking the time to tell your story. I hope you live a long and happy creative life. And there are many more journeys and Caminos in your future. Most of all, a creative journey, a creative Camino. Buen Camino, Dennis. Buen Camino, Dan. Thank you so much. My guest this week was the Canadian pilgrim, Dennis Garnham. He's written a book called Toward Beauty, Reigniting a Creative Life on the Camino de Santiago. And it's available via Amazon right now. Confucius said, he who conquers himself is the mightiest warrior. A very special thank you to my Patreon sponsors, in particular my new Patreon sponsors, Dennis and Sue, John, Carey and Marie-Therese. Thank you so much for your kindness. You can sponsor the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. So it was after I'd recorded my interview with Dennis that I said, I'm going to be in Canada later this year. And he said, well, you have to play a show at the Grand Theatre where I work. So that's exactly what we're doing. I'm doing a series of talks and shows late October, early November in and around Toronto, London and Ottawa. The big show is at Dennis's Theatre, the Grand Theatre in London on Thursday the 27th of October. You can get tickets right now via grandtheatre.com. I'm also doing a show at The Pilot in Toronto on Thursday, November 3rd. It's not a ticketed event. It'll be more like a normal pub show. And I'm doing talks at a couple of Canadian Company of Pilgrims chapters, so check with your local chapter. I'll use the last line of Dennis's email to me to close out this week. I hope my story shines a light on the power of the human spirit to overcome heartbreak and fear and move toward beauty one step at a time. (laughs) Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere.